we want to just say thank you for being here on this day. We appreciate you. We are in a very interesting study. We're looking at the life of Joshua in time of transition, entering into the unknown. This was a very precarious time for the people of Israel. They were going in from the wilderness into the promised land, a land that God had promised the Israelites. But they had to do some things and they were going to experience things that they've never experienced before. And the truth is, as we begin today, whenever God calls you somewhere, asks you to do something, you might not think you're qualified, you may not think you're able to do it, but if God is calling you somewhere, He'll give you the capacity to do it. And Joshua many times felt very insecure. He had to replace Moses, remember? That wasn't easy, but God gave him a promise that exists for all of us here today. He said, Joshua, do not fear. As I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. And God's promises are true. And you can be sure that God was with Joshua every single moment of his life. Didn't Jesus say that about you and me? Twice. He says, lo, I am with you to the very ends of the earth. Now that doesn't mean you're going to feel it. That doesn't mean you're going to get goosebumps and you're going to break out in a euphoric state. No, 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 that doesn't mean that. He just promises that he'll be with you. And it's difficult to fully comprehend that, especially when you face giants, as Joshua is about to face in our text. And so, if you have your Bibles, your Bibles, I repeat, Bibles, not phones, not uh, tablets, not uh, your Bibles. And we are in the ninth chapter, and uh, we're going to also look at the tenth chapter, Lord permitting. We have a lot to cover tonight, uh, so we want to look, at, beginning at verse number one. And it came to pass when all of the kings which were on the side of Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys and in the, all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard thereof, that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and Ai, they did work wily. Now that's a very interesting word, wily. It's the same word we find in Ephesians 6, where the Bible says we fight not against friendship, but against the wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devil. That's the same word. They did work schemingly, wily, and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their donkeys and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up. And old shoes clouded upon their feet, old garments upon them, all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua unto camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, We be come from a far country. Now therefore, Make ye a league with us. And the men of Israel said unto the Hiphites, Preadventure ye dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? 
And they said unto Joshua, We are your, thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are you? And, and from where are you coming from? And they said unto him, From a very far country thy servants are come because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, to Sion king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan, which was at Ashtaroth. Wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake us and saying, Take food, victuals with you, for the journey you go to meet them, and say unto them, We are your servants, therefore now make ye a league with us. This our bread we took hot from our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it is dry and it is moldy, and these bottles of wine which you have filled with new, and behold, they are rent, and, and these are garments, and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Let's just stop right there. The Bible says that Joshua made a treaty with them. Now let me just give you the backdrop. God told Joshua to go into the promised land and you need to fight against all of these enemies. And really you have to remove them because they are vile. They will corrupt you and uh, they perform all kinds of religious debauchery children are sacrificed and the list of depravity rises and you've got to remove them remember the warfare in the Old Testament was physical in the New Testament our warfare is not physical it is spiritual we fight not against flesh and blood our weapons are not carnal we don't use our hands bullets but mighty through the pulling down of strongholds they're spiritual So there's always warfare, but in the Old Testament it was physical. That doesn't mean the demons were not there. That doesn't mean there was no demonic strongholds. Of course there were. But their their weaponry, and they fought hand-to-hand combat, physical combat. But we're not to fight that way in the New Testament. We don't fight flesh and blood. And so what happened was, is that as Joshua was continuing in his journey in his quest and God told him to destroy the enemies there were certain nations that heard within the land of Canaan tribes and groups of people Hivites, Jebusites they heard of what took place in Ai they heard and they wanted to form an alliance to destroy Joshua and so as this was going on the Gibeonites also heard but they feared the Lord they feared what would happen to them so they devised a scheme and so having said that let's begin this evening and let me say by way of introduction brothers and sisters that Satan comes what as an angel of light as an angel of light when Joshua met these Gibeonites they seemed so angelic so truthful oh we've heard great things and we learned to 
Just the, we, we, we fear the Lord. We are your people, Joshua. And they gave him whatever they had. And it was very enticing, very encouraging, it seemed. All Joshua faced was war and, and pain and agony. Here comes a group of people that embraced him. And he was listening to them. We're going to talk about the decisions we make, my friends. And the decisions that we make that can last forever. Some decisions we make, they seem ordinary. But certain decisions we make can last for a very, very long time and even determine our destiny. Here the Israelites make a decision that would stay with them forever. Decisions are so important. They're the key. That's why Joshua said as he was leaving in the last chapter, you've got to choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Choosing, making decisions is something we do every day. And how we choose and the decisions we make is based on personal conviction, isn't it? What we believe. In our text, as the presence of Israel became more known to the Canaanites, more fear came upon them. We see this in verses 1 and 2. And as I mentioned, their only hope they thought for survival was to bring the armies together to fight against them. And so a certain collusion was made with all these nations. In this text, we are going to see one of the greatest scams ever made in the Bible, or we're going to see the greatest courage. Either it's the greatest scam or it's an act of absolute courage. It depends from which perspective you look at. And I'll have you make that conclusion as we conclude later on this evening. And so, I want to share some thoughts. As we notice verse 3 and 6, what's happening here. In these verses, we see the purpose is that they were afraid of Israel and so they devised a strategy verse 11 so they wouldn't be destroyed and in order for them to come to this effectually they had to look into Israel's history and figure out is there any way we can make an alliance with Israel because we know that they've been told to destroy the Canaanites and we're Canaanites and so the Gibeonites, part of the land of Canaan, they said, wait a minute, maybe we can find a strategy. Maybe we can find out something that can help us to unite with Israel. Isn't that exactly what Balaam was supposed to do when Balak hired him to destroy the Israelites, to put a curse upon them? And Balaam sought them out and he looked and he searched and tried to find a weakness, tried to find a weakness so that, so that, so that, that the enemy can come in and destroy them. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And so we see a very similar scenario. These Gibeonites, they did some research, but it's, it's, it's the other way around, it's the reverse. They, they did some research to find out, is there any way we can somehow connect with Israel so that we won't be destroyed. Deuteronomy chapter 7 says that, that God wanted them to wipe out all the nations that they faced. But Deuteronomy 20 is a very important text because the Gibeonites began to read the Hebrew scriptures. 
and they found an exception see the devil knows the word too don't you think for one moment the enemy doesn't know the word of God he, can, he probably knows it better than you do he doesn't apply it to his life of course but how many people know the word of God but they they don't apply it see there's a huge difference there's some people that study the word of God strictly for information but the Bible is not given to us for information only it's but for transformation and so they did some research and they discovered something that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 20 we won't get there we'll get there a little bit later but they found some kind of an exception in chapter 20 verses 10 to 15 we see that God has given an exception God is saying you can make this treaty with the seven nations you can't do that but but here's the but you can with nations that are afar off oh so you can make a treaty with a nation that's really far away it's not part of the area oh they found that out was, okay hey guys guess what I found in the Word of God the Hebrew scripture says that Israel can make a treaty with a nation that's far away maybe we can be that nation so they got dressed up you know they all disheveled and brought food that rotted and bread that was moldy they, they smelled they had clothes that looked ragged their face all dish and they came up to Joshua and, and started talking and communicating with him and uh, said some things to him that changed everything and so they found out about this loophole if you will and I want to share some principles that begin with C and if you're with us on Facebook or YouTube you can write these down if you like principles that begin with C as we dissect this text something very powerful that we need to look into number one especially in the days in which we live in my first principle I want you to notice is the principle that I call the chameleon principle what is a chameleon? a chameleon is a, is, is a reptile that has the ability to change its color depending on its environment anybody ever seen a chameleon in, in life or on documentaries anybody? It's absolutely amazing it has the ability to change colors something in its skin the ability to adapt to its environment are you with me the ability to adapt to its environment I've seen it it's absolutely amazing what it can do why it's adapting to its environment so it can disguise himself so he can catch its prey so if he's in a green environment full of leaves it becomes green if he's in a rocky area and there's shrubs and it's brown and gray it becomes brown and gray so he can hide himself so he can catch its prey I've called my first principle the chameleon principle why is that? well the Gibeonites have to do something don't they? they had bread that was moldy, rotten 
pretend that they were from far away, show them, look, look, we truly come from, from a great distance. And so we see deception. See, they were clever. They scripted out what to say in verses 9 to 10. You might say, what does this have to do with deceit? Well, notice here, they mention Egypt. Egypt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're far away. The king of Egypt. We're on the other side, the east side of the Jordan. What's the point? Is, is, is they are saying, hey, hey, listen, Joshua, this happened a long time ago. You know, with all these things that you've gone through, look, we weren't even around. This is, we weren't even, we didn't even know about anything that's experienced here. What, see, we, we had no concept of this. We just happened to stumble into this situation. We are from far away. So we had a long journey. We didn't know a thing. We, 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 we found out as we came in this area, we had no idea what you were doing, what took place in your life. They didn't know. They didn't, we didn't know about Jericho. We didn't know about AI. Well, of course they did. But they wanted Joshua to believe that they had no clue because they're from a far country. And as they studied their scriptures, they discovered that Joshua can make an alliance with us. So if we pretend that we don't know anything, that we're from far away, and our clothes are torn and worn out, and our food is, is old and moldy, then maybe Joshua will make an alliance with us so he won't destroy us. These were gifted. These People lived a mile away from Joshua. One mile. And they pretended that they came from afar off. Wow. Unbelievable. Verse 4. They did work wily. Do you see that word in verse number 4 of chapter 9? Did you see that? Is it? Yeah. They did work wily. It's the same word in Ephesians. They were scheming. That's the devil. He's a schemer. We fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the wiles of the devil. The devil has a scheme. He's got a plan. He's, he's well organized. He's got generals and captains. He's got principalities over places. And we know this in Daniel when he's praying. You remember that? And he fought and he prayed and he interceded. And then Michael the angel came after 21 days. He said, Daniel, when you prayed, God heard you. But I had this warfare with the prince of Persia for 21 days. We're in a battle. And the enemy wants to deceive you. To dissuade you. He'll use all kinds of deception to get you off track. Oh, and it looks so good. What does the Bible say in 2 Corinthians chapter 11? The angel, the Satan comes as an angel of light. Why is he coming as an angel of light? To deceive you. How many people thought this has to be God and it hasn't? It's not God at all. It looks like it's God, but it's not God. That's why we need discernment today, perhaps more than ever, my brothers and sisters. There is so much deception in this world, all in the name of Christ. It's absolutely incredible. If I can tell you how many people are falling away today into false teaching, lies and deception, teachings that sound very good, but it's twisted truth. Like the Gibeonites. They bring deception. 
And if you don't have the spirit of discernment, you can be deceived. Did not the Bible say God has even shortened those days? Because even the elect have the capacity to be deceived. My friends, don't think that you're above all those things. We're in a warfare here. And if the elect can be deceived, so can you and I. We have to walk humbly before the Lord each day. My God, ask His direction each day. Say, God, I've just surrendered my life. Lord, is this your will? Is this what you want me to do? But Joshua made a mistake. He didn't do something. And the schemes came upon him. Complete deceit. Camouflage. The chameleon. The chameleon principle. The devil comes as a chameleon. He, he comes green. The next day he'll come red. The next day he'll come yellow. He's adapting to his environment. Adapting to what needs to be said. Adapting to what needs to be done for that moment. Where deception can be born. And there's a lot of spiritual chameleons in this world today. They said, verse 9, hey, look what they said here in verse number 9. Look what it says here. It says, and they said unto them, we come from a far country. We're your servants, Joshua. Come because of thy name and of, thy, uh, of the Lord. And we have heard of the fame of him all the way, what he did even in Egypt. And we, so we're part of all this. We're, we're not your enemy, Joshua. We're not your enemies. Not at all. Verse 12 and 13. Look what it says now as we continue. 12. This is our bread. We took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go into you. But now, behold, it's dry and it's moldy. Look at the bottles of wine. We filled it. They were new and behold, look. It's rented. The leather is being torn. It's, it's, look how old it is. These are garments. Our shoes have become old by reason of this long, long journey. Ah. But notice verse 14, which is the crux and the most important part of this text. Look what it says. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of of the Lord. Oh, you come from far off? Oh, your shoes are... Oh, oh poor baby. Oh, that's so sad. Come on, we'll take you in. You're, you're, it's okay. We feel really bad. Come on. We'll, what? Excuse me? Joshua, what are you doing? Can it, is it, has it not occurred to you that maybe this is a trap? Did not God tell you, you can't do, do what are you doing? But, 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 pastor, it looks, they look so innocent. Pastor, can't, look, 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 they're tired. And don't you have any compassion? Don't, what's the matter with you? But you have no compassion for these people. Look at the bread there. They can't even eat the bread. They didn't seek God. The first sign of deception, my friends, or the 
sign that you can fall into deception is when you do not seek God about the decision you're going to make. If you're going to base a decision by what you see, feel, and touch, be careful, my friend, because you become prone to being deceived or prone to make a mistake. Oh, we're going to go deeper this morning, so you better hold on to your hats. We're just starting here. Oh, this story is unbelievable. And so, here we see their final speech before the treaty is signed. The bread, the mold, the wine. Notice verse 15. Look at the result. We just said it. Verse 15, And Joshua made peace with them and made a treaty with them. Made a league with them. Oh my goodness, Joshua. Oh my goodness. What are you doing? And now Joshua and the Gibeonites are one. God was very serious about treaties. Very serious about covenants. Very serious when you make covenant with someone. That's what Joshua did. Number two, we just talked about the principle of camouflage. Now I want you to notice something. I want you to notice here a false sense of compassion. But before we do that, I want to show you something. Josh, Pastor Josh, can you show me the picture of the orchid and the anglerfish? Watch this now. Watch this. You see this creature here, those on Facebook, I hope you can see that, YouTube. You see this creature? It's an ugly looking creature, isn't it? It, lo- it lives in the depths, the Mariani Trench. It's a creature that lives deep, deep within Pacific Ocean, obscure creature. Now, do you notice on top of its head that, that little, uh, whatever it is, it looks like a, some kind of uh, stick up there, but... But I'm going to tell you what it is. He's, a, he's going fishing. The fish is fishing. What that is there is a type of fishing pole. And what this fish does, I'll go over here because I, I don't want to go into the baptismal tank. What that fish does, he keeps, he takes this and he goes up and down, up and down, as if it's, whoa, there we go again, as if it's some kind of bait. And so as, as this fishing pole is going up and down, the other fish, other creatures are looking at this, and they think, oh, looks like lunch. Looks like a, a shrimp or some kind of worm. And so, and so he's fishing by, by taking this fishing pole and going up and down. The creatures think it's some kind of food, uh, some creature, a shrimp. And so they go to attack. And remember, it's dark there. There's no light there. And they go to attack this creature, this shrimp or this worm, and they think they're going to have lunch. And now, thinking they're going to have lunch, they become the lunch. Deception. We see it in the natural world. Pastor Josh, can you give me the, the uh, orchid, please? Ah! Here we have another creature called the orchid mantis. Now, what you see there is an orchid, and you got to really look deep before you see that there's actually a mantis there. This mantis is ready, he's got his hands like, like this, he's ready. See, an insect, a bee, or any kind of insect that's attracted to the orchid scent and, and nectar, they have no clue 
they think that's the white part of the orchid because the orchid has a white interior they think that's that's a simple orchid they they want to get some nectar and all of a sudden as the insect approaches there out goes hands and now they've got no nectar they become the insects nectar because it begins to suck the creature literally from the inside out that's called the orchid mantis the principle of camouflage the chameleon principle that's how the devil operates oh that's a beautiful orchid oh that's so wonderful but it's deception to entrap you and that's why brothers and sisters we need to pray for discernment it's a gift of the Holy Spirit 1st Corinthians 12 and we need to pray for this gift today more than ever before because there's a lot of praying orchids mantis orchids out there in the spirit realm that are trying to devour you let us not be ignorant of his devices the principle of camouflage or the chameleon principle number two false sense of compassion principles that begin with C tonight I also see a false sense of compassion where your emotions control you where your emotions guide you sometimes you make decisions that are based strictly on feelings emotions sympathy listen we need to be sympathetic we need to be compassionate but sometimes when you're compassionate maybe overly compassion you might be prone to deception oh my friend how many people have felt sorry about some things and oh you but it ended up being a trap how many women I've counseled over the years who've been entrapped by men that promised them oh and a great man with a horse coming in shining armor promising all these wonderful things and a complete disaster wanting compassion she feels sorry and, oh okay I'll, and you embrace this it ends up be, some you see and that's the problem with being very very compassionate it's a great thing we need compassion my brothers please don't misunderstand me we need compassion desperately but sometimes you can be so compassionate that you're blind blind to the reality of the situation Joshua made a decision strictly based on compassion and that's dangerous because he didn't have the facts and he was being deceived by a false sense of compassion he felt sorry for these Gibeonites didn't he he had no idea that this was a plot how many people have fallen over reasons that seem to make sense you've got compassion for that person you feel sorry so let me try to rescue this person let me try to show compassion and we need to do that and before you know it you are trapped in some deception that's come your way like the Gibeonites Joshua didn't even pray his emotions 
led him and said, okay, we'll take you in. We'll make a treaty with you. No discernment. This is a great man of God. Let me tell you something, friends. All of us are prone to make these mistakes. I don't care how spiritual you are. Sometimes we allow our emotions to lead us. Joshua saw the Gibeonites. He saw their plight, what seemed to be a difficult time for them. They've come from a far country. And he embraced them. The mistake he made, he didn't seek God about it. That principle, my friends, is always the key no matter what. Never make a decision only in what you see. And if you do make a decision, make sure you pray about it first. Joshua did not do that as we have seen in verse 14. They did not seek the counsel of God. And so now Joshua and the Gibeonites are one. His compassion has led him in a very difficult and precarious situation. Number three, my third principle, we see certainly an act of carelessness. The chameleon principle, camouflage, we see an overly committed man that had compassion but misled compassion and now we see that this was a careless act. Notice verse number 7. Notice verse number 7. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Preadventure ye dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? We're going to make a league with you? Are we going to do that? Are we going to make a league with you? They just had uh, just a little dialogue with them. Did you see that? There wasn't much discussion. We, are we just, okay, are we going to make a league with you? They didn't examine. They didn't go further. They didn't do their own research. The Gibeonites did their research. They went into the Hebrew Scriptures and found out there was an exception where Israel can make a league with them. But the Israelites didn't do their research. They didn't study the situation. They didn't ask them any questions. They took them at face value. Listen, we need to trust people, and, I, and we have to. And people who don't trust people, usually it's because you can't be trusted. I know that. I understand that. I understand that. I understand that. But brothers and sisters, when you're dealing with situations like this, this was extremely serious. God told Joshua, you can't make league with any nation. This was a serious command. And you got these people you don't know that seem like they're sincere. And you just talk, where you, you're, you came from far off. Oh, really? Okay, that's okay. I see your bread. Oh, no problem. Come and join us. What? That's it? That's all you're going to do? You didn't go deeper, Joshua? You you didn't pursue, you didn't really look into the matter. You didn't go behind the scenes and find out who they really are. You're just going to take them in. You're just going to take them in without looking and going deeper to find out what's really going on. Joshua, I understand you've got to take people at face value, but, but you can't just make a league with, with what God said not to do. You can't do that without at least looking deeper into the situation, Joshua. They were careless, never asked really any kinds of questions. 
beyond the external. They didn't pursue, they didn't pray to find out answers. Lord, is this your will for us? Lord, you told us we're not supposed to make any league. I know there's an exception here in Deuteronomy 20. That's why the giving nets are here. But Lord, is this honest? Is this sincere? The things just don't seem to add up here. But, but I, I want your counsel, Lord. I want your direction, Lord. They didn't do that. They were careless. They were careless. Maybe they were overly confident. They just destroyed the people of Ai. They came through the Jericho walls, the vast walls. They had incredible victories. Their, the fame of what God had did had spread throughout the land. Maybe they became a little self-confident. huh? Maybe they became a little bit arrogant, a little bit hubris. Just hubris in their thinking. You know, we've, we've, we've arrived here. Look, look at us. We're, who knows? To make such a careless thing. Maybe you didn't think about it because you're just too overly confident, Joshua. Hmm. In verse 14, they didn't seek the Lord. They became too self-absorbed, maybe a little bit cocky. They didn't ask God for His direction. Especially in these matters. This was a critical situation. And you know, the devil knows when to come into your life and bring some kind of discord. He knew that this is the way I'm going to... He, he knew what was happening. And he came at the right time to bring discord in Israel. They just had two victories. When does the devil come against you? We talk about this all the time. When you're at your lowest and when you're at your highest. They just had two great victories. Ah, look what we have done. God is great. Look at they were very cocky and hubris and self, overly self-confident. And they became careless. And that's when you can become careless when you're too overly confident. That's when you can make decisions that come from you. You don't need to see God. I know what I need to do. Wrong. You always must seek God. I don't care what the decision is. If it's big, small, ugly, beautiful, it doesn't matter. Always seek the counsel of God. But Joshua didn't do it. Well, God, you said you'll be with me like you were with Moses, so, so I'm okay. You know, you're going to be with me. So do I really need to pursue you? Yes, you do, Joshua. Who do you think? What? What? Because I was with Moses and I said I'd be with you, doesn't mean you're just going to do whatever you want and make decisions without... No! No, Joshua. How many times, brothers and sisters, perhaps that you've been taken, you think that you have all the information and something horrible happened. You were deceived. I remember my I was pastoring in, in Montreal, not Montreal, in, in Toronto. Uh, and there was this person coming to me. They lived in the, I guess, the projects in Jane and Finch. And uh, they came to my office one day. He said, Pastor, Pastor, you know, 
I, I need some money for my rent. And I said, well, you know, the church doesn't really, you know, don't have a fund to pay people's rent, you know. I said, oh, it says, oh, okay. And then there was crying. and I, My heart just broke. I said, well, how much do you need? He says, oh, just, you know, 400 something. I said, you want 400? And crying and now and then just I, I was just overtaken by the, the the apparent you know pain of it all. I didn't really pray about it. I didn't I just was moved. I was so moved by this person. No, I, next day I was able to get the money and I gave it to this person for the rent. Rent that they were behind. And so I was, I was saying, well, I hope to see you, you know, soon at the church. And yeah, of course, Pastor, absolutely. I never saw that person again, ever again. Didn't even live in that apartment. It's very easy to be deceived. Tears, emotions. And... Many times we feel compassion and we get careless. Exactly what happened to Joshua. And in verse 16, I want you to notice here in verse number 16, and it came to pass at the end of three days after they had made a league with them that they heard that there were neighbors and that they dwelt among them. What? Joshua just finished making a league with them, a treaty with them, and they found out they lived about 500 yards down the road. Some say a mile down the road. Can you imagine that? Oh, my friends, what's the point? They made this decision strictly on what they saw, their own perception. Verse 17 and 18 says, And the children of Israel journeyed and came there, cities on the third day, and the cities were Gibeon and Sheparah and, and Beeroth and Kirjajerim. And the children of Israel smote them not, because the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. All the congregation murmured against the princes what's going on here oh my goodness they should have destroyed them all as God commanded but now they were deceived and now they have to live with the consequences what's the point whatever you sow you will reap point God will not listen God did not want them to be with the Canaanites whatsoever because they were filled with all kinds of evil as I mentioned and debauchery as I mentioned child sacrifice and some of the atrocities and the barbarity that took place it's hard even to describe the point is God knew if they, if, if they would assimilate if they would become like them what does the Bible say? just a little lump just a little bit of yeast just a small, a small crack in the ship can cause it to sink. Do you know that? You don't need a big, big crack. A small. Oh, it may not sink right away, but eventually that ship will sink because little by little the water is getting in. A crack in your armor! Little by little. God knew that. 
and he was protecting them. In verse 22 and 23, look what happens here. And Joshua called for them and spake unto them, saying, Wherefore have you beguiled us? How dare you fool us? You beguiled us, saying we are from afar off. You just dwell among us. How dare you? You played on my emotions, my compassion. Verse 24. And they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told thy servants how that the Lord thy God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants. And we were afraid. You see, Joshua, we did this. Yes, we admit we deceived you. But we did it because we were scared. We didn't want to be wiped out. Have you ever lied because you felt scared? Don't answer me, it's a rhetorical question. <laughs> I have to put your hand up. It's easy to justify our lies because we are scared. Most people, if they do lie, it's because they're scared of something. But that's what they said. We were scared, so we, we lied, we deceived. In other words, it, it's supposed to make it right. But but you can understand their concern, don't you? Sure you can. They did this, they're telling Joshua, because we were scared. And then Joshua says in verse 27, watch this now. And Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord, even to this day in the place which he should choose so Joshua says okay okay you're one of us now you deceive me God cannot I cannot break this covenant it's against the law I've done this but you will be water hewers and you will help us build the altar you will work to help us in the worship of the Lord this will be your responsibility and the Gibeonites said amen no problem definitely now what I want you to look at is I want to go deeper and I want to share some life lessons about these stories and about these principles because it's very important. I want to bring this to, our, to, our, to, to the vernacular, to our lives today. What does this mean for me today in the year 2024? Number one, life lesson number one that begins with F. Notice, there is more to be found out than the human eye can see. The decisions Israel made was strictly based on what they saw. And what does the Bible say, brothers and sisters, that we are to walk by what? Faith and not by sight. If we're going to make decisions by sight, I guarantee you, we will make mistakes over and over and over again. Because what we see with our naked eye is not necessarily the truth. Now, I'm not saying it's always wrong. But if you strictly make decisions through your emotions and what you see, I can guarantee you, you will be deceived at one point or another. You will make a grave mistake. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, do not be ignorant of his schemes, of his devices. 
Be careful because what you see may not be what is. Pastor Josh, can you show me the spider, please? Watch this. Watch this now. This is an incredible illustration about the spider. Now look at the spider. How many eyes do you see there? Eight eyes. Do you see eight eyes here? Each eye has the ability to look. It goes all around. It can see everywhere. Everywhere. Behind, back. This is the only creature on the face of the earth that has eight eyes. Stay with me. Eight eyes! Can you imagine having eight eyes? We walk not by sight, by faith, correct? How do you think this creature operates? Obviously by sight. He's got eight eyes, wouldn't you say so? You're all wrong. This creature does not operate by sight even though he's got eight eyes. You might say, why would he have eight eyes? Do you know how it catches its prey? The spider who's got more eyes than any creature on the face of the earth, mammal, reptile, insect, bird, catches its prey completely the opposite of what you think. You would think naturally it must catch by what it sees. It's got eight eyes. No. It has a web. And he stays on this web. And he's got on his feet follicles, little mini hairs, very sensitive. And has the ability to sense any vibration that comes on the web. So if an insect hits that web, it makes a vibration and immediately the spider goes towards that vibration and catches its prey. It's what it senses, not what it sees. Oh, friends, what am I saying? That spider knows exactly how to survive. As we say, we walk not by sight, we walk by faith. This insect is teaching us the same principle. that We walk by faith. Not by sight, even though we have great sight. Some of us might have 20-20 vision. Some of us might have great eyesight, but we don't have great insight. Oh, i got to say that again. That's really good. I have to admit it. You might have great eyesight, but that doesn't mean you have great insight. You can see like the spider, but can you catch your prey? the way the spider does and he does that as he senses we walk by faith led by the spirit guided by the spirit we're not gonna walk by sight we're not gonna walk by how smart I am I might have all these degrees I might have a PhD I might have all the ability in the world I might have eight eyes but I'm not gonna depend on my strengths and what I have I gotta walk by faith because what I have and what I see might not be what's going on in the spirit realm oh that's so good Proverbs chapter 3 says lean not upon your own understanding your own heart don't lean upon it commit yourself trust the Lord with all your heart 
and you commit your ways to God, verse 6, and He will direct your paths. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, we look not upon the things that are seen, but rather we look upon the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. We're not going to look upon the things that... We don't walk by sight as believers. Joshua, you were walking by sight when you made that league with the Gibeonites. You thought they were from a far country, moldy bread, and you made your decision. And because of that, Israel was going to suffer for the rest of her life. And you're going to see as we close what horrific things happen because of that one mistake. One decision can change your course forever. One decision. My God. Number two, my second F, by way of application. There is more to be feared from seduction than actual combat. Seduction. <laughs> There's more to be feared from a kiss from Judah. Judas. Than someone who torments you right in front of your face. Do you know that? Judas's kiss is very deceptive. Oh, I love you. I kiss you. Ah, my friends, be careful of those who embrace you right away and kiss you and think you're the greatest thing. You know how many people that have told me, "Oh, you're so well," and the next week they start knifing me in the back and made me into some some kind of potato mashed. I mean, talk like you have no idea, brothers and sisters. Beware of Judas's kiss. Beware. Beware. Careful of the molded bread of Satan's deceit. <laughs> they defeated Jericho, they defeated Adai, but they got seduced by the Gibeonites. Wow! The Gibeonites in their poverty, in their, in their molded bread, they got deceived. They fought the greatest city. They defeat and they get seduced by the... Oh, my friend, Samson was powerful. Nobody was stronger than Samson. Great, mighty Samson slays a thousand Philistines. But God slayed himself by the lure of Delilah. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Seduction. Seduction. The devil loves to seduce. Did he not say in the last days people will have itchy ears giving heed to seducing spirits? They lure. Oh, that sounds good, Pastor. And we've turned God into some kind of Aladdin's lamp, some cosmic maid that comes to serve you, and it sounds good. And that's why the prosperity doctrine is so popular. That's why the seeker-sensitive churches are so popular. It makes the gospel so appealing to the flesh. Oh, it's so, and we, we love it. We, we just, it's so appealing. It's, we've been seduced. I'd be seduced too if I believed that God wants to meet every single thing and wants to, even above all that. You want a Cadillac? Just claim it. You want to live in a mansion? Just visualize it and believe. What? Un 
And Christians buy it. That's the sad thing. They buy it. They've been seduced into Delilah's lap. Seduced by the Gibeon's molded bread. Oh God help us. The point friends, it's easier to deal with the Canaanites face to face than to deal with a, a kiss from Delilah. It's easier to deal with an open enemy than with subtlety of Satan's seductions like the anglerfish deceiving prey to think that that's a real minnow or a real shrimp. It's all seduction. And today, friends, we need to beware more than ever before truth that sounds like truth, but it's not. They're twisted half-truths. As I've said over and over again, a dead clock is right twice a day, isn't it? Sugar looks like salt from a distance. Be careful. Examine. Do your research. Don't just believe anything you hear over the pulpit. Especially these preachers on television. Be careful. Did not Jesus say the first thing Jesus as a sign of his coming when the disciples asked him in Matthew 24, the first thing he said, what is the sign of your coming? I'll tell you. Beware of false teachers. Deception. Trying to twist the gospel. For their own agenda. And we see it en masse today. The most popular, largest churches that we have. Most of them. Are either seeker sensitive. Or prosperity. Do your research friends. I have. Why? Because it attracts our flesh is lured to it. When you look at our preachers of the past, and one in particular said, if you're in a church and there's no conviction, get out of there. Get out of there. You see, a lot of these places want to make you feel good. Nothing wrong with wanting to feel good. We need to feel good. But if that's all you do is feel good, listen, I'm not going to church just to feel good. I can relax, watch a television program, pick up my feet, have a cup of coffee. I don't get, no, no, no. I, 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 you know, I don't want to feel normal. Like, I can do normal in my home, you know. I come to church to be challenged, to be, to be lifted up, yes, but I, to grow and, 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 and to, to, to have the Spirit of God deal to, so I can you know, hear His voice and be led and, and, and hear the Word of God that brings instruction and growth. I don't go to church to sit in a hot tub and get the goose bumpies and the, the frills. and That's not the purpose of church. My goodness, the early church never served. They were dying for their faith. Truth about God's word. And because of that, they died as martyrs because they wouldn't compromise the word of God. Let me tell you something. If Jesus preached the message that some of us preach today, he would have never been crucified. Never. Number three, 
Many times we see more faith coming from the pagan world than we do in the church. These Gibeonites had tremendous faith. Look what they did. They lied. They deceived. But it was because they knew of the power of God that they would have been wiped out. So they, they devised a scheme because they feared the God of Israel. That's why I asked you in the beginning, uh, is this the greatest act of deception? Yeah. Or is it the greatest act of courage? It took a lot of courage to do that. I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying. Many times, my friends, you will see more faith in the pagan world. If you don't believe me, you need to turn to Matthew 15, the Syrophoenician woman. She wasn't a Jew. She came up to Jesus. Her daughter was possessed with a devil. She came from far away. Her disciple says, get away. Who are you? What are you doing here? No, no, I need to see the mastermind. Get away. She kept persevering. She finally met Jesus. And even Jesus seemed to rebuke her. But she persevered. And she got healed. Her daughter got healed. She believed. Even Jesus seemed to rebuke her, but she persevered. A Gentile. What about, what about the centurion in Luke 7? Came to Jesus. And, Jesus, I have a servant. He's sick. And Jesus, I will come to him. And he said, no, no, it's okay, Jesus. I don't want to disturb you. Just speak the word and I know my servant will be healed. Jesus, I have not seen such faith in all of Israel. Oh, there's many examples. Luke 17, the lepers. The lepers. They all had leprosy. Jesus is there, of course. And he tells them, I want you to go to, to the priest. And there, God's going to meet you. God's going to touch you. And they, and, they, and they turn to go towards the leper, uh, towards the priest and the temple. And as they're going towards it, they're, they're all healed because they obeyed God. They all were healed, every single one of them, at the command of Jesus. Jesus didn't lay hands on them. Jesus said, go. And they obeyed. And they got healed, but only one came back to give thanks, and he was a Samaritan, a non-Jew. Where's the rest of them, Jesus said. Where, where? Only you? Sometimes we see more faith in the Gentile world, my friend, in the pagan world, than we do in the church. What about Rahab, another Gentile? She feared more God than her own king. She knew that if she would hide the spies, she would have died if she was caught. But she feared God. This was a Gentile. She wasn't raised in the church like you and me. She didn't go to Sunday school. She didn't really even see physically miracles. She only heard. She didn't see anything. She just heard and she believed. She wasn't a Jew. And that's why Jesus was so upset with the Pharisees because they should have known better. What about us? Been in the church for years, some of us. And 
many of us still don't really believe. Oh, we believe, but when at times crisis comes and when difficulty comes, how is our faith, how is our trust? We end up so worried, so distraught. We get sick, we can't sleep, and we, we mull over, and, and it just seems that our faith in God is just not there. How do we, you might say you believe, but your actions are, are saying otherwise. Sometimes we see more faith in the pagan world. You see, underneath all the deception of the Gibeonites, you see, they believed that God would bless them through this collusion, this, this assimilation. Number four, then our future, my next F, is based on the decisions we make today. Whatever you sow, you will reap. You may not reap it now, but you will reap it eventually. Watch this, watch this. Isn't it amazing? Watch this now. You ready for this, folks? A hundred years later, the Gibeonites were trying to introduce to Israel a false worship to hinder them. And even in the book of Nehemiah, Pastor Melody, you did Nehemiah a while ago, Sambalad and Tobiah, guess who they were? Gibeonites. Tried to hinder Gibeonites. These Gibeonites introduced to Israel false gods the ones that Joshua made an alliance with here in chapter 9 and 10 chapter 9 a hundred years later the Gibeonites were trying to lure Israel in serving other gods Whew. isn't that amazing isn't that incredible our future is based on the decisions we make. Second Samuel chapter 21 verses 1 and 2. I want to show you what happened as a result of this league. There are consequences that take place, friends. God will forgive us, but there are consequences. If I, if I steal and I rob something, and I'm a, I'm a believer, and I say, I'm sorry, Lord. Okay, God forgives you, but the policeman who catches you, you're going to jail. You're going to pay your sentence. That's just reality, folks. Look what happens. Watch this now. 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. Look what happens here. The Bible says, Then there was a famine in the days of David three years. Year after year, and David inquired. Ah, David, thank God David inquired. That was David's greatness. He inquired, why is there a famine, Lord? God told him. You ready for this? Watch this. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew who? The Gibeonites. What? What? Folks, stay with me. Are you ready for this? Unbelievable. Joshua made a, a treaty with the Gibeonites. It's a few hundred years later on. God, do you think God forgot it? God didn't forget it. God didn't forget it. Saul, he couldn't care less. Saul did whatever he wanted. He slew some Gibeonites. Even though they were corrupt. 
God doesn't forget the treaty. And because Saul killed the Gibeonites, famine came upon the land. Whoa! Did you see that? Did, did you see that? What's the point? God is serious about the covenants we make. The marriage covenant we make. Oh, that's another sermon. Don't let me go there. We might be here for another week. God brought a famine to Israel because Saul killed some Gibeonites and they were like Jews in the covenant realm, in the spiritual realm. Because Joshua made a covenant with them. And according to God, you make a covenant, you are one. I don't break covenants. Saul broke it. Result, three years of famine. This was a three years of famine because what? But Lord, that's okay. They deceived us. You know. God doesn't care. You made a covenant. Friends, let me tell you something. Your vows are very important. Your commitment is extreme. God is very serious about covenants and commitments. He doesn't forget. Maybe you're about to make a decision, brother and sister. I don't know. If you are, be careful. Decisions you make now can determine your future. Make sure you make decisions after you've prayed about it and spend time assessing the situation. And so Joshua was deceived. Israel was deceived. They faced the consequences. And now we come to chapter 10. You know, we're just going to start chapter 10. We won't be able to finish it because of our time. But I want you to notice chapter 10 of the book of Joshua. We'll just start it today and we'll finish chapter 10 next week. But I want you to notice what's going on in chapter 10. He's just experienced this incredible thing with the Gibeonites. And now, all of a sudden, watch this, verse number 1 of chapter 10. Now it came to pass when Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai, watch this now, and had utterly destroyed it, and he had done to Jericho and her king, so he had done to Ai and her king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made a peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city as one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, all the men thereof were mighty. Oh my goodness. Verse 4, Come up unto me and help me, that we may smite Gibeon. It hath peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Verse number 7, So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, and all the people of war with him, and the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear them not, for I have delivered thee into thine hand. Verse 9, Joshua therefore came up them suddenly and went up from Gilgal all night and the Lord dis discomfited them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter of Gibeon and chased them among the way that goeth up to Beth Horam and smote them in Azekai and Makedai 
And it came to pass, verse 11, as they fled from Israel and were in going down to Beth Horon, that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Azarkiah and died. And there were more that died with hailstorms than whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. And Joshua, to the Lord in that day when the Lord delivered the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and hasted not to go down upon the whole day. And there was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Wow! Wow! Now, brothers and sisters, we need to ask how will Joshua respond to what has just happened in chapter 9? How is he going to respond from such deception? What will he do as he continues to face the enemies? The Bible tells us that the king found out that Joshua made an agreement, an alliance with Gibeon, and that bothered this king. And he got more kings involved, more nations, to fight for two reasons. To fight against Gibeon. How dare they make an alliance with Joshua? We're going we're gonna to get, we're going to destroy. They, they, they were fellow Canaanites. We're going to get rid of them. They made an alliance with Israel. How dare they do that? And we're going to destroy Joshua. Enough is enough. We're much bigger than they are. We're much stronger than they are. Who do they think they are? And so we're going we're gonna to get rid of them. And you notice that the city of Gibeon was great. It's hard for me to figure out, how did Joshua miss this? It was one of the great cities and he missed it, it was right in front of him. Isn't it amazing, you can be deceived and it's right in front of you? Can I reverse it? How many times we're looking for someone or we want someone to do something and we think that person might be a hundred miles away or something we gotta get like many times oh we gotta get this great speaker from from Istanbul or someone from Auckland or someone from from I don't know Boisneris or or someone from from I don't know I don't I don't know some place that's far but that person might be underneath your nose How did Joshua miss it? It was right underneath your nose. Right there in front of you, Joshua. But he missed it. As great as this city was, this king, Adonai Zedek, calls four, four of his good friends, if you will, five kings and all, and said, since Gibeon has done this, and jo we're going we're gonna to get even. We want to punish the Gibeons. We want to punish Joshua. How can they possibly do this? And so Joshua, he never, watch this now, Joshua never dreamed that he'd have to defend the Gibeonites so soon. Remember, now Joshua, now Joshua, who's made this covenant, has to protect the Gibeonites. His enemies... 
So now the five kings are coming against Joshua, but they're also coming against the Gibeonites, and now Joshua has to defend the Gibeonites as well. That's, I've got to defend my nation, and now I've got to defend the Gibeonites because of that one decision. Wow. My goodness. He never thought that he would have to deal with this so soon. Oh, you see. Decisions we make in the flesh come back to bite us, don't they? And so Joshua now has to do something and his integrity was challenged. Is Joshua going to keep his commitment or is he going to break his treaty? And if he does that, he will be cursed, the Bible says. You can't break a treaty. You can't, God, again, he is big on treaties. Big on covenants. And so Joshua realizes he now has responsibility to protect these people. In verse 8, God comes to his rescue, if you will, like he always does. In chapter 10, verse 8, look what God says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear them not, for I have delivered them into your hand. Joshua, you made a mistake, but it's okay. I'm, I'm, going, I, I'm going to protect you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do what I can to sustain you because I promised you. I will not break my covenant with you, Joshua. Doesn't that remind you of 2 Timothy? We might deny him, but God cannot deny himself. He is faithful even when we are faithless. Does not the Bible say that? We see it right here. You know, people often say, well, you know, the Old Testament's so different. You know, friends, in principle it's not. I see a silver light. From the Old Testament to the New, you see similarities all through the Scriptures. All through. All through. And now God's going to come and rescue Joshua once again despite the fact that he made a mistake despite that he made a decision in the flesh because God is God and he will not break his covenant he wanted to encourage him so they went 25 miles from Gilgal to Gibeon that night and now if Israel was to win a war against five nations from the south Joshua knew God had to help him in some way, otherwise there'd be no hope because they were vastly outnumbered, outmanned, out-equipped. They couldn't compare to them in any way. But notice how God helps them in, in, because he, he, of this treaty that Joshua made. And we're going to see a series that we're going to spend a bit more time next week, a series how God comes to help Joshua. We're going to see a series of events how God came to intervene and bless Joshua. Now we had the privilege when we went to Israel the first time with Logos, we went to these plains here in Gibeon. We went there, we actually were, remember Nadia? We were right there at the battle. And we don't know where the sun stood still, but we were right at the battlefield that Joshua had with the Gibeonite, with the, with the, with the, with the enemy, the five nations. We were right there and it, it, just, it just did something to me because I love this story. And so here we were. And now I'm preaching this message. How is God going to intervene? All these nations are coming against Joshua. He doesn't have a prayer. And the first thing 
we see in verse number 10 are hailstones. Notice that more died with these hailstones than with the serpent. You know, we see hailstones quite a bit in Scripture, don't we? The plagues. We see them in Revelation 16, Revelation 11. We see them in Revelation, um, uh, I believe it's 9. It talks about hailstones. In the last days, during the tribulation period, those that are following me in my series on daily devotions, we know that God's going to release all kinds of hailstones as part of the plagues during the tribulation period. It's part of judgment. Hailstones being released. Now, I mean, this is the Middle East, folks. This is not Canada, you know, or Texas. This is the Middle East. Hailstones. And these hailstones were local. They weren't all over the place. A localized hailstone attack. The first series of miracles were these hailstones that were released by God to kill all, not weren't all of them, but most of the enemies at that time that came against Israel. There were other, it was part of the, there were five nations, remember. And so God releases these hailstones and many, many died. In Revelation 16, we discover that some of these hailstones that God is going to release during the tribulation period are the size of basketballs. In Texas, in Texas, not too long ago, they discovered hailstones the size of softballs. Can you imagine having these type of hailstones coming down from heaven? You know, and many died. God intervened for Joshua. Unbelievable. Now, of course, you have your, your skeptics, don't you? You got all kinds. Yeah, you, you know, Joshua, uh, the, a lot of the liberal theologians, you know, these, these teachers that don't believe the Bible's inspired of God, like we have today, these teachers that just take certain scriptures and they believe in them, others they don't. They pick and choose what they want to choose, like progressive Christianity. You know, they pick and choose what they want. Really disturbs me. Oh, you don't like this? Ah, it's not. Well, take this. And they, they, they don't, well, that's not inspired. Well, how do you know what's inspired? So they pick and choose what they want to do. And they twist the scriptures. And these critics, oh, they've always existed. Liberal theologians, they said, you know, they, do you really think they were literal hailstones? Really? They, they, they now are going to challenge all of these miracles. Just like they challenged when the walls came down. If you were with me a few weeks ago, we talked about these critics. I said, there's no way the walls, the walls of Jericho must have fallen through a natural disaster. See, they always try to explain the supernatural with the natural. They always try to explain the extraordinary with the ordinary. That's what liberal theologians do. You know why? Because they have no faith. You know why? Because they don't believe in the supernatural. They were the modern day Sadducees. In the days of Jesus, there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the supernatural. We have modern day Sadducees. That's why they're sad, you see. That's a terrible joke. I, I say it every time. It just doesn't go anywhere. But that's it. Sadducees. These are critics, skeptics. Yeah, yeah. They, they say, look, look, there is no hailstones here in the Middle East. It's impossible. No way it can happen. But that's right. That's why it's a miracle. 
That's why it's a miracle. The power of God. Verse 11 says that the hailstones fell only on the Canaanites, not Israel. Don't you think that's a miracle? If hailstones come, it's going to destroy. But it was directly on the Canaanites, just like the ten plagues in Egypt. God directed. This is intentional. There's a plan. There's a strategy. The Canaanites, the Israelites are right beside them. How in the world did not one Israelite die? How is that possible? Because God performed another miracle. Is that rain outside? Do you hear the rain? Is that what it is? Amen. <laughs> Something good's about to happen. <laughs> I gotta close. I gotta close. And so the skeptics that are trying to disprove God are actually proving God. Notice what it says. We have not seen this before the Bible. This has never happened before. It was so powerful, even greater than it was in Egypt. This is incredible. And so we see the miracle of these hailstones. But then in verse 12, we see the miracle of the extended light. Now again, the critics are there to try to disprove this, this sun standing still. They try to disprove the hailstones. No way it can happen. They try to disprove the extended light. But scientists have made it. They have researched it and they found that back at a certain time, the Earth's surface and this, the, 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 what happened in, um, on the Earth's rotation and the sun's that there was something that was altered. Something was altered at a certain time in history. And they were able to bring it around this time of Joshua that something took place with the sun and with the earth's surface and, and it, it deals with some kind of rotation I don't have the exact uh, explanation of it I'm going to give you another explanation but scientists were able to to come to a decision that something happened on that day that changed how things function in the natural realm they're able to assess that Something must have altered. The sun changed. And so, these liberal theologians, they say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This must have been just a total eclipse. That's not supernatural. We have total eclipses today. They probably just had a total eclipse and the sun, you know, was darkened and uh, that's why you see what you see but this was not a total eclipse not even close to that Joshua didn't want darkness he wanted more light <laughs> so what are you trying to say Joshua didn't want darkness you you think that you would want darkness when you're hiding from your enemies it was the reverse Joshua wanted light so he can attack the enemies and we're gonna stop right there there's so much to say let me tell you something, friends. All these false prophets and all these critics, they just dig themselves into a deeper hole. The bottom line is this, friends. When it comes to the things of God, you cannot come to God with your natural mind. If you come to God with your, the natural mind, you will never understand nor perceive because the natural mind cannot 
perceive or conceive or even comprehend the things of God. It's far, because God's ways are not our ways. And there's, that's the problem that many of us are natural. Many of us think naturally. Of course, we're human beings. But when it comes to the things of faith and the things of God, we cannot approach them with the natural mind. And that's why we make bad decisions at times. I want you to take this home with you. We didn't finish today. We'll finish next week and we'll go into another chapter. But I, I, want, you to, I want you to take this home with you. I want you to take this home with you. Joshua was deceived. This was a great man of God. Arguably one of the greatest men of God that ever lived. Are you with me? <laughs> this wasn't just Mr. You know, Sunday school teacher once every five weeks. Now this was... This was Joshua, the man who replaced Moses. The man who saw the power of God in unprecedented ways. If it can happen to Joshua, it can happen to you and to me. Don't make a decision because you see the mold of the Gibeonites' bread. Don't make a decision by what you see because what you see can be a deception now I'm not saying you have to question every little thing because we I don't want you to do that either wait, wait, pastor said you gotta be so let me say you tell me you're wrong you're a false prophet no 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 don't that, that, that's one extreme we're not talking about that all I'm saying is when it comes to decision-making you have to make an important decision Make sure you don't make that decision by sight, number one. Make sure you do what Joshua did not do. You pray. We just saw David inquired of the Lord. He said, Lord, what's the problem here? I don't understand. Why do we have a famine, Lord? I don't understand. Because Saul killed the Gibeonites and he broke the treaty. God spoke to him. God will show you. God will show you. May not speak to you right away, but he'll show you. And that's the word I have for you and those on Facebook and YouTube. What school are you going to go to? What job are you going to take? Who are you going to marry? Oh my goodness, that's a huge one. That is a huge one. I've seen too many people make a decision strictly by what they see. You don't marry someone by what you see only. No, my friend. Pray about it. Do your research. Go behind the scenes. Wait on God. And then make your decision. Amen? Let's all stand up there.